Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of our uh, Hot Topics in CT Fall Edition 2011. And let's take a look at the small bowel. And there's been a number of articles with some interesting points for our daily practice. Article by Pusky, looking at the right lower quadrant pain beyond appendicitis, and CT has emerged as the modality of choice for evaluation of severe acute, acute traumatic and non-traumatic conditions in the right lower quadrant. This article gives very nice examples. Some facts they mention, abdominal pain is the most common cause for an ER visit overall. And second, most common in patients over age 15, with chest pain being the most common in that age group. Abdominal pain accounts for over 8 million of the 119 ER visits each year. We know there's a wide range of possibilities when you look at the right lower quadrant, from inflammatory diseases to neoplastic diseases, from things that are common like Crohn's to things that have specific histories like neutropenia colitis, typically in patients who are immunosuppressed. We know about diverticulitis and carcinoma. We know about unusual things like appendix epiploica or mental infarction. We know about things like endometriosis or foreign bodies. So there's a wide range of pathology, and you can see why CT is so important. It's not enough to say there's something going on, but you need to be very specific as to what it is. And when you look at all of these possibilities, CT has very specific findings in most of these situations. We also make the point about the last thing about referred pain that patients may not have anything to do with bowel and it may be simply polynephritis or stone disease. And again, CT is very good because again, the article by Jim Thrall a few months back making the point 70% of patients are impacted by the scan, the diagnosis change, the diagnosis is reinforced, surgery is avoided or patients end up going to surgery. But again, the importance of specific findings. So technique indeed becomes very critical. Now, when we speak about small bowel, there's been a number of articles looking at things like virtual endoscopy as a way of improving our accuracy. In this article, which focuses on this virtual endoscopy, kind of like doing a colon, small bowel intestinal uh, virtual endoscopy has a high diagnostic accuracy for detection of intestinal tumors. Contrast enhancement and adequate intestinal tract gas filling can improve the detection rate for small intestinal tumors. And the whole area of imaging, CT enterocolysis, is a good example of where we're getting much better and picking up tumors we easily missed before. In this article by Zoo, CT correctly identified 30 of 33 cases with one false positive case, high sensitivity, specificity, and accuracy. Now, their technique is a little bit invasive. Prepping the patient, we typically don't prep for small bowel studies, but they did. They used an air agent. The air was introduced via pump into the rectum and into the ileum. So it's an invasive technique, but perhaps it's interesting. We're not doing it. I think CT enterocolysis using the uh, volumen works very nicely with IV contrast. 3D mapping and the like, but again, it's an interesting technique. The authors also showed that they needed to use multiple rendering techniques from axials to coronals to endoscopic imaging and vascular mapping, but again, it makes the point that there's lots of things you can do to improve your accuracy. Now, another article by Philippe Sawyer from France looked at some of the challenges. Crohn's disease is very common. We do CT for looking at the complications of Crohn's, looking at activity. But one of the complications is carcinoma. And 
Philippe made the point very nicely that in many cases you have a bulky mass and it's easy to say this is a carcinoma, but at times it's simply indistinguishable from a stricture due to Crohn's disease itself. Again, unusual enhancement, mass effect, obstruction out of uh, the, the realm compared to what you should expect with a small area of narrowing should maybe make you think about carcinoma, but it can indeed be very difficult. Another important article that came out that relates to small bowel and right lower quadrant is this article that was in the annals by Perry Pickard talking about the importance of CT and appendicitis. Now, one of the reasons I say this is an important article, they had very good results, but also the fact it goes to the internal medicine audience, so it's our referring base. And they made several very good points. CT was very accurate for detecting appendicitis, and in this group of patients, about a quarter had appendicitis. Very high sensitivity and specificity and negative and positive predictive values. But when you go beyond that, one of the important things they showed in this article is that 4.1% of patients would have had a negative appendectomy based on the CT findings. Remember we talked about 20 to 30% normal appendices? They had 4%. You can see the article actually said 7.5% because surgeons in 3.4% of cases operate on patients that CT said was negative. They just operated anyway. So it makes the point that with CT as the gold standard for surgery, you have a very small percent of patients. And this is a retrospective study. We do even better now with some of the new scanners. So again, very low number of patients going to surgery for a negative uh, surgery. So a very, very important point. Uh, Pickard also made the point that, again, very much in, in the realm of what we understand, that CT providers suggested alternative diagnosis in 42% of patients who did not have appendicitis. So again, you can see 42% and 23%. So we had almost 70% of the cases we gave the diagnosis based on the CT scan. So very important, good article. Again, mentions maintaining radiation dose, but it shows how good CT is for the diagnosis of appendicitis or alternative diagnosis. So again, an important article that you should be aware of. It doesn't give new information, nothing that I didn't know before or results that I didn't expect, but again, the audience is at referring physicians. What else? Good article in the World Journal of Gastrointestinal Oncology about small bowel cancer, talking about the fact there are four subtypes of cancer, adenocyte, carcinoid, lymphoma, and sarcoma, and made the point that the incidence of cancer of the small bowel has increased over the past several decades, and most interestingly, a fourfold increase in carcinoid tumors which is kind of very interesting. And here's just some of the typical malignancies we, we'll think about. I used to put down metastatic disease, which you'll see a lot of in an oncology population, of course. It's interesting now with the numbers that carcinoid tumors may be the most common tumor of the small bowel. It's kind of head in head with adenocarcinoma, but if the growth curve continues, surely carcinoid is number one. And I will tell you in our practice, we see lots of carcinoid tumors. And I've noticed in general, pancreas, bowel, we're seeing a lot more neuroendocrine tumors. Some facts from that article, carcinoid tumor, most common in the ileum and least common in the duodenum. Average incidence in the U.S. is about 1 in 100,000 cases. It's more common in men and more common in African Americans and lower for Hispanics. No good reason for that that I know of. In terms of CT findings, 
Again, CT angiography with CT enterocolitis is critical for picking up the small tumors within the bowel. The mesenteric masses are a bit easier to pick up, that classic desmoplastic reaction. And in about 70% of cases, this mass will calcify. And when you do have liver metastasis, which is not uncommon, it's more common in larger tumors. Under 2CM primary tumor, unlikely to have METs. Over 2CM, METs are more common, and the METs are typically hypervascular. Article by Kumai talked about CT enterocolitis in small bowel carcinoid tumors. 44 patients with symptoms of suspected GI carcinoid underwent CT enterocolitis. Positive CT enterocolitis was compared with PATH after surgery. Negative exams were compared with surgical results or clinical follow-up. And they found that 19 patients were positive, 25 negative, with the size of carcinoid tumors ranging from 5 to 30 millimeters. These tumors were depicted as small nodule lesions in the small bowel wall or as intraluminal polypoid masses with marked enhancement. So again, the results were that polypoid lesions are the most common, but the fact, again, carcinoid tumors will enhance. And in this article, the overall sensitivity and specificity of CT in identifying patients with small bowel carcinoid was 100% and 96% respectively. Very, very impressive results. Negative predictive value of CT enterocolitis, 100%. Positive predictive value, 94%. And again, they had surgical confirmation. So you can see, if you do the studies correctly, you have a substantial accuracy. And that's far better than anything I've seen before in terms of numbers. Now, the CT enterocolitis becomes very important in GI bleeding. Here's an article by Lee most recently saying that CT enterography has a potential role in the evaluation of obscure GI bleeding. Despite limited sensitivity of CT enterography, positive findings can reliably indicate the true source of obscure bleeding. CT enterography is particularly effective in helping identify the source of bleeding in patients with a massive, with a history of massive bleeding. So in their article, um, you can see CT was indeed very good, very high positive predictive value, 100%. Again, we always have the issue with GI bleeding, that the bleeding stops, you can't detect the lesion, but CT enterography is a frontline, first-line study. Very, very important. And the authors conclude that it has a potential role in the evaluation of obscure GI bleeding, and despite its limitations, it's especially effective, as we mentioned, in massive bleeding, and it should be used. And we're using CT enterography Again, the critical thing, good bowel distension, fast injection of contrast, angiographic mapping, dual phase imaging, uh, all become very critical if you really want to optimize your results. And again, here's just some of those numbers again. So CT enterography is getting a lot of uh, press. I'm giving a talk on CT enterography at the CT meeting in September, and I'll be coming back to you at the end of September with a new lecture focusing on some of the details of CT enterography. What else? Uh, let me just mention the kidneys, uh, pearls, and there was a couple articles in oncocytomas, and oncocytomas has always been a challenge. It's usually a diagnosis you make after the pathologist makes it. What's an oncocytoma? It's a benign non-urothelial epithelial tumor that makes up up to 7% of primary renal neoplasms. Classically, it's a solid mass, often has a central scar. They're typically incidental findings, though not always. But remember, 70% of renal cancers are incidental findings. Um, majority of patients are asymptomatic, though occasionally patients can have hematuria or pain. The classic appearance, hypervascular lesion, 
SCAR. SCAR is true in ultrasound or CT. Well circumscribed. And again, about a third of cases have this, but also we see central scars in renal cell carcinomas, particularly in clear cell types. And clear cells are very vascular, so it can be somewhat challenging. There's been a couple articles, and I'll just show you. There's an article by Bird who looked at differentiating oncocytomas and renal cell carcinomas in these under four centimeter masses. And they said that the enhancement in the washout values obtained by MDCT can help distinguish oncocytoma from renal cell. Their preliminary results demonstrate that arterial phase enhancement of greater than 500% from baseline and washout greater than 50% are exclusive in renal oncocytomas. Now, I haven't had looked at all mine over, but we're going to take a careful look. But it's something to consider. Remember, with oncocytomas, you're probably going to remove them to be certain, but partial nephrectomy works very nicely. In patients who are surgical risk, if you thought it was an oncocytoma, you probably would do nothing. Another article by Gakis to evaluate characteristic imaging findings of tumor attenuation between oncocytoma and clear cell. So they looked at the same uh, topic. And again, both articles, European Journal of Radiology, both are still in press. And what Gakis found that in the nephrographic phase, the difference of attenuation between cortex and tumor was highest in both entities. Uh, but in the cortical medullary phase, renal oncocytoma showed greater isodensity to the normal renal cortex compared to clear cell. No further differences were found in the unenhanced or excretory phase. So there is some difference, but I tell you, that's a tough, tough call. But again, something to consider, and we should look more carefully and see if we can do better with these multi-phase acquisitions. Again, the, to date, the classic thing is the article by Chudere, which makes the point, and you can see the title says it all, CT features cannot reliably distinguish oncocytoma from other renal neoplasms. And again, they mentioned the typical scar, the typical hypervascularity, but again, small percent of tumors and tremendous overlap. So again, it's still a challenge for us, but something we're going to look at more carefully. What else can we look at this month? Well, there were a couple of articles looking at the liver. And just one article I read by Vacha talking about cystic lesions of the liver. I always mention this in my talks. Most lesions that are cystic are simple cysts, benign. But you can't have complex cystic lesions. They can be neoplasm, cyst adenocarcinoma, or biliary cyst adenoma. can be inflammatory like an abscess or post-traumatic like a bioloma. And so when they go further, they talk about benign being hepatic cyst the von Meyenberg complex, Caroli's disease, or adult polycystic disease. On the complex, they put inflammatory, neoplastic, and post-traumatic. And again, it's a challenging diagnosis in select cases, but typically not too difficult. In terms of the complex cysts, again, neoplasms, we talk about biliary cyst adenomas or cyst adenocarcinoma. We talk about cystic metastasis, gist tumors, ovarian cancer. Hepatoma can have cystic components, but typically is mainly vascular, typically not an issue. Hemangiomas have puddling for enhancement, typically not an issue. Embryonal cell sarcomas, okay, that can be difficult, but that's incredibly rare. So again, 
When we talk about cystic lesions, most are simple cysts, but you need to be careful. Things we look at, if you see wall enhancement, is not a simple cyst. If you see nodularity, it's not a simple cyst. I think at times there is a challenge between abscess and tumor. The history can be very similar, elevated LFTs and weight loss, but again, typically not going to be too much of a difficulty once you look at all the imaging characteristics and once you look at some of the clinical history. Again, if you look at my talk on CT scan of the liver, uh, we discuss this in great length. And finally, the last thing I could discuss is this joint commission sentinel event. Again, um, something I put on CTSS, you should read this. Again, it's one of the things the Joint Commission is now going to get involved with radiation. The American College of Radiology is going to try to clarify what is they're looking for. Again, in this article, they say no new information has been found. Radiation is an effective tool that saved lives. But again, they look at some of the risks. It creates a little bit of havoc in the press, but it's something you should read and at least know about. And we'll discuss it again in the future as we look at radiation dose. So with that... Hopefully I've given you some interesting things I've read this summer. It's not exactly a novel, it's not Ben Mesrick's new book, but hey, what can I say? And as Bugs Bunny would say, that's all folks. Have a great day. <laughs>